The following podcast episode is part of the Fighting Words 100 Years Project with the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gale Talk, Sport, and Media. The 100 Years Project is part of the Decade of Centenaries Initiative, during which Fighting Words is organizing creative writing workshops and projects with school students at primary and post-primary levels. The aim is to contribute to the Decade of Centenaries objectives regarding reconciliation, understanding of shared history, reflection of identities, and responding to the historical context in an interesting and apolitical way. You can find out more about other events related to the 100 Years Project at our websites www.fightingwords.ie and www.fightingwords.co.uk. Now we have Kayla Patterson, who is one of the members of the Young Advisory Panel in Fighting Words and also was involved in the 100 Years uh, Analecta Anthology, which was an anthology of short stories where writers were invited to cast their imaginations 100 years in the past and 100 years in the future. So hello, Kayla. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast episode. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. So could you maybe just briefly describe like how you got involved in Fighting Words and what your like role is now um, in the organization? I started as a member of the Right Club at Fighting Words NI. And then in spring 2022, I was part of the Young Playwrights Project. Um, now I'm on the Youth Advisory Panel for Fighting Words. Cool. Incredible. And what does the Youth Advisory Panel mean? Can you describe that a little bit? Because you're the only member of that panel that we have on today. Yeah, we're a board of 11 young people that are really just supporting Finding Words and giving the youth input. And what have you um, made any suggestions so far? Like what's something that has come up? Yeah, one of the main topics that we spoke about on our first meeting was... um, connecting with other writers and how we can have young people maybe meeting from the north and the south and working together and that seemed to be a really popular thing just getting a community of writers for right club could you maybe describe that as well that's online isn't it so it's kind of a there's like a hybrid version if you wanted to maybe give us the basics of what that is and what that means for you for me it's really just a community of writers that you know they're always so encouraging and supportive and people you can really relate to it just gives me a space to be creative and to really, you know, share my writing because I wasn't confident doing that at the start, but Write Clubs really helped me to, you know, enable that and feel that other people can read my writing and that they're going to be really supportive about it, which is really nice. But yeah, I just love the people and the community of it. It's really cool. Cool. And what, how important is community to a writer? Like, why do you think community matters? You mentioned it for the youth advisory panel and then also in Write Club. So what, what effect can having a writer community have on you as a writer, do you think? I think it gives you people to relate to and people who really understand, because if you don't have any friends who are into creative writing, then you're trying things in your own and you're trying new things. You're not sure if you're doing it right. But having a community of people who are like you and who just understand. Also getting to read the work of other writers. I mean, it's a really big privilege and to know they trust you to read their work. And it just lets you know that you're, it makes writing a bit less lonely because when you're sitting at a laptop or at a notebook and you're writing, you know, most writers do that alone. But when you have a group, it makes it feel like you have people there who are with you. And that makes it really nice. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and then for the for the book project, for Analecta, can you describe what that is, maybe just in terms of the actual um, volume of stories itself and then how you got involved into it? Yeah, 
So Analecta was an anthology of short stories, plays and poems written by Right Club members and young writers from Fighting Words that mentioned the historical context and reaching us was into the north and south to to write about the past. So um, it, it was like a volume of, of short stories, plays and poems about thinking 100 years in the past and also how that like how that affects the current moment, maybe or something like that. That's that's brilliant. Yeah. Fair play. And then how did you get involved into it? Were you were you asked to be a part of it or did you apply or what was that process? I was told about it through the Right Club as well. And a few of us got involved through that. So about thinking about the past and thinking about the future, how did that inform your writing of the piece, do you think? Sort of encouraged me to write a bit of historical fiction and stories based on history after that. Because when you write about that, you're not just thinking of a story, you're writing about real stories and real things that have happened. And that really encouraged me in my writing to think about the fact that it could be a real story and that stories I'm writing could, these could be real people. Yeah, I love that. It like lends a sense of realism to it. And what was the process of writing it as part of Write Club like? Were you given like prompts every session or did you have, you know, was it a, a multiple draft thing? Did you revise it? Like, could you explain what that was like? Yeah, I wrote a first draft of my short story and I shared it with the Write Club and I got some really good feedback on it and how I could improve it and what was good about it, which was really helpful. And then I rewrote it as a second draft. And after getting that feedback as well, I mean, once I rewrote the second draft, I felt much more confident about it. And I felt like it was a lot better. So I think that's a really good, that was a really helpful thing. Cool. And maybe that ties back into the community aspect of right, right? You like you can share your work and what what was it like getting feedback? Was it a little bit um was it nerve wracking or were you like happy to get the, the advice? No, I was completely happy to get the advice because it's always really well put, I think, and it's always supportive, you know, there's never any negativity and there's you know, it's it's feedback that's gonna be helpful and that will really help you as a writer so it doesn't feel like you should be nervous about it at all because it's always really lovely. So, How did you feel reading other people's work? Did they interpret the theme like wildly differently to you or did anything from reading their pieces occur to you that hadn't before? It was really interesting reading other people's pieces because everyone took 100 years so differently. Some people focused on the future, some people focused on now and some on the past. But yeah, the different ways that everybody sees the world as well and how do you think writing can help like like process or like emote or have a conversation about those bigger issues? Like uh, why is it a useful tool? Because writing's what helps writers express themselves and get their feelings out. And sometimes for some people it's harder to talk about it. But if you can put it into a story where it doesn't, it feels disconnected from you almost. And it's just a powerful tool because creativity and I mean, poetry rhymes, they stick in people's heads and stories can be easily remembered. So it's a way of helping people remember and letting them know that there are important issues out there that young people are writing about. So they care about them. And what do you, what do you kind of enjoy the most from it? Is it, is it the self-expression? Is it the, like speaking to a bigger theme? Like what, what um, is the most enjoyable aspect do you think? It's something that I've always loved to do and always hoped to do because 
there's just something with three words how just writing words on a page that can just bring such a difference even to you maybe not even to the people reading it but just for the writer as well yeah it's means a lot incredible so do you want to maybe describe a little bit the piece that you wrote for the anthology maybe what the title is and give a little bit of context and then we can we can read the excerpt the title was explosive words and it was a short story based on the troubles in northern ireland um and it was about a young boy living in around belfast um witnessing those troubles and trying to make sense of it because kids interpret things very differently Cool. And like, how did that idea occur to you? And why did you decide to write about that specifically? I think the perspective of young kids can be really interesting because they see the world through such a positive light, you know? I mean, kids don't want to accept their bad, you know, they want to believe that everyone's good. Gorgeous. Yeah. So you don't even, you have the historical perspective, but you also have like the age perspective. And it's really interesting to kind of play with the, that optimism and where everything else is a little bit more gray space and ambiguous. So that's, that's really cool. It's great to hear it, get an insight into like the thought behind the story as well. So thank you for sharing that. Um, are you comfortable? Do you want to, are you happy to read out? Yeah. Explosive words, Kayla Patterson. It matters that I was there. I witnessed those blaring swarms of Auburn explosively attacking the pedestrians on our street, the deafening, ear-aching boom rattling through my ears when they launched the bombs across the barricades. That is what they were called, right? Those gigantic barriers were a bloody eyesore. I wasn't allowed to stare for too long. Were those actually bombs they were throwing? I've read every comic in our children's section, and those cartoon bombs never looked like ours. The screaming scurried underneath my skin as though bugs were scattered across my arms. I kind of hoped I was safe at home, but the outdoors revealed that I probably was not. Their footsteps were interminable, followed by haunting yells and then a crack. I did not wish to consider where that came from. Why was all of this happening? And why to me? The screaming scurried beneath my That's such a good line. Um, thank you so much for reading that. If you were to give somebody advice about how to write a story or a poem or a play, maybe stick to story for now, because that's just what you read. Um, what like tips or tricks could you um, consider giving somebody? I think the main advice would be just don't give up on it. You know, you've got such a story to tell and everyone has their own stories that if you're not getting it onto a page, you're just keeping it inside your head and it'll always be there and no one will ever read it. Maybe there's someone out there who needs to hear your story. Maybe you need to hear your own story. So just keep writing. That's gorgeous. And do you think like uh, fight, like publication is kind of a big part of the fighting words like method, I suppose? Do, why do you think publication is important, um, particularly for people who maybe haven't written as much before? Why do you think publication matters? Well, that's them saying that their work is, I mean, it's something you can hold and it's something you can read. You know, and if there's, I think that helps them to imagine that they could, you know, in the future, if people want to go on to be writers and professional writers, then that it's possible, you know, even for people who haven't written before, seeing their work in a printed form and their words on a page that people are going to be reading, it just opens so many possibilities and really makes you realize that you can do that and that you could do it in the future. I think it's so important because it just helps you realize your potential and what you could be doing and how that your words matter and that 
the people who have published this, like Fighting Words, you know, that they value your voice and that they value your writing. And that's really special. Is there any like final comments you want to say about like the 100 Years Project or like Fighting Words as a whole? Is there anything that you want to add that you didn't get a chance to mention? Um, just thank you for creating this project or and creating the anthology um, at Fighting Words. And yeah, again, thank you for letting me come on here. Well, thank you. You gave your like time and your talents and your voice, which, as you said, is like so valuable and so important. So thank you so much for um, for coming, for hopping on. This is Andreas Fallon Verbruggen, who is one of the 100 Years Playwrights involved in the 100 Years Playwriting Project that had a showcase on in the Peacock Theatre in June of this year. So welcome, Andreas. Thank you very much for being on this podcast. Thank you very much for having me. What had you been writing in the past? What type of stuff do you enjoy writing? Do you want to just chat about like your personal writing a bit? Like so before like the fighting where it's kind of like writing was more of a like distant thing for me than something I was actually doing. So I remember I was doing youth theatre at the time and I wasn't um, mad on the acting side of it. I remember seeing this opportunity and I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll put in for it. Fighting words kind of was my first proper introduction to um, both playwriting and actual proper writing as well. Yeah, it's always quite an abstract idea of like, oh, I want to be a writer, but what does that mean? And then when you come into fighting words, you're kind of equipped with the skills. Um, but I don't want to put those words in your mouth. Like, what, how did you find the experience of actually being in fighting words and like getting the opportunity to like do the work of it? Um, like, did it affect a process? Did you develop a process? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? The process I sort of learned was that preparation before writing is kind of half the battle and to sort of explain that before i used to just go straight into a script it's great to have almost like vision boards or even like just things with like random words i remember this one exercise you did where like you get to take one of your characters and you have to answer a load of different questions about it and i thought it was very bizarre at the time. It was character hot seat, wasn't it? So you're kind of like bombarded with questions and you had to kind of improv off the cuff. Yeah, that yeah. was what it, that, that was the exact exercise. And I thought that was really bizarre at the time. But when I was writing the thing, I found like I was going back to that a lot. Preparation, I think, has now become a big part of my process, not just in writing, but for another creative aspects. And then maybe to focus a little bit more on the actual 100 Years project. So do you want to describe like what, was involved in that from like a zoomed out perspective? So the 100 Years Centenary Fighting Words project um, originally started out on Zoom because we were in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic. It was a weird process, but it was very encouraging to get a load of people to together. And like there's a load of mentors and like you sort of got it explained out that you had to, you can write about anything. It just has to relate somewhat to the theme of 100 Years, which is quite a broad theme. From Zoom, you had this big idea and then it got whittled down with exercises and everything. And then you, when you had your plays, concepts, you then had like individual sessions where you were able to develop them. We eventually got to a stage where we were able to meet up in person and discuss them. I think we had one in Dublin and one in Belfast. You were still able to go, all right, well, we're just going to have a meeting and we'll discuss your ideas further, regardless of how this gets put on we're going to still develop your ideas, which I thought think is a really nice uh, commitment to the writers. 
And how long did it take from the initial like, oh, would you be interested in getting involved in this 100 years playwriting project to the showcase that eventually happened? That's a very good question. I think it was two years because I joined it when I was doing the leaving search and I'm now in my second year of college now. So two-ish years and I was put on last summer. Something that I like that you mentioned was that like the 100 years as a theme or as a prompt, like right to this idea of 100 years, either in the past or in the future, um, was quite big and maybe a little bit vague in terms of like there's a million and one directions you can go with it. Um, How did you like deal with that openness of possibility? How did you like, as you, to use your words, whittle down the idea from the initial, it could be anything to what you ended up with? What was that like? Well, I'm a massive history nerd, so I actually quite like how big it was. Yeah, no, like it was a big one. And I think what I quite liked is like each play um, sort of did keep with the team. Um, not sort of, they did keep with the team, but they expanded it in ways like so unique. Like I went with the history sort of approach with it of looking at specific um, relations during that time. And I thought like I would be one of like six people who did the exact same thing and then I remember going into the meeting and everyone's idea was so different and like took a different twist on the theme so like while yeah it was a very vague team and maybe even too big it allowed people a lot of space I think Mm. to sort of step back and go all right what what interests me the most about the centenary I think it allowed people a lot of scope you are kind of the representative of this side of the project, of the playwriting aspect of it. Um, and so could you maybe describe what you said about diff- different people taking different takes, just like maybe to give a flavor of the types of interpretations people took with it? Sure. So I'm not going to speak on behalf of the writer's creative vision, but so Danny took um, the centenary aspect of it and looked at a, a relationship of a marriage that had hit its anniversary and whether the love had been rekindled or died and like that. It was actually quite a really funny play and though this subject matter could be taken quite seriously. And I remember the sort of inciting incident was the queen hitting a hundred centenary, the her centenary. And like that's took that is on theme, but it's an idea that I don't think anyone else but Danny would have taken and like there was one really really beautiful um, narrative piece about that was really put on with um, puppetry and everything in the peacock about um, Irish wolfhounds and looking at that through history and the sort of history of them told through their eyes incredible and then you had looking at Irish banshees with the sub with the sort of in the backdrop theme of losing your Irishness if you move abroad um, by Lily. And, and there was even one that I, I loved, um, which was a call between two family members, one in Ireland and one back in a different, um, uh, one back in the home country. And it also like, it shows another thing of like how Ireland has evolved in those hundred years as well. And there was even like a one that was like a, cartoon and I really really like the staging of it and the sort of um, dialogue um, of um, one a set around sort of this very experimental way of looking and it was taken with the animation a hundred years ago of living in an animation 
um, sort of like a steamboat Willie-esque um, in order to help with memory and help through trauma. And those are the ones, I apologise if I um, miss any plays, but those are the ones that I just wanted to give as examples that um, really did take the theme and and took it to amazing places. How did you find having a theme in terms of having it to flavour the writing that came up from it? Was it useful to have kind of that restriction or would you prefer kind of just the blank page? Like what was what was that experience like? I liked that, I, that it was centred around Centenary. It did sometimes cause problems in terms of looking for inspiration and ideas because um, Irish history in its sense of that time, especially from the nationalist and Republican in this country has had quite a lot of plays already done about it and quite a lot of narrative work already done about it. So looking for something that's maybe a slightly different skewed or take can be more difficult, but you could argue that's part of the craft. Do you think that history is important, but specifically do you think that the decade of centenaries, do you think that looking back 100 years and seeing like how we've improved or maybe regressed in some ways, do you think that's important? Yeah, I. so looking at the past part first, yeah, I, I do, I would believe that looking at the past to see like how far we've regressed or how far we've improved is definitely important because it gives you perspective on how we're doing in this current time and like how to best move forward. Um, I think in terms of the centenary specifically, I know because it's it's not looking back at like the war of independence, which in certainly the Republic is seen as a sort of good thing because it gave the Irish Republic foundation. But like the civil war is actually quite a painful thing to look back on. Mm. So it's something that isn't really Looking at it through these works, I would say is important because you have to look at these um, events. You can't skip over them, but at the same time, you also can't, I would argue you can't dwell on the past. Like it, it is significant as a hundred years and the country we have now is, I would argue, significantly different. Like even making this play, um, I took a slightly, you could call it controversial route. And I even remember being in the room with actors and playwrights and there was a bit of, I think it was over one line in particular, I can't remember which line, but um, I think it was a line that mentioned the black and tans and there was a bit of a discussion of how do you, what is the reason, like how do you portray that in a way that helps the play and doesn't cause unnecessary shock and outrage but like it, it these things do need to be discussed just to just because you've you raised really really cool points um i liked what you said about sometimes the history is painful but it can't be ignored but it also doesn't do to dwell on them as well that was really interesting um just to continue with that thought how do you think creative writing could be like a vehicle to think and talk and discuss about that type of change or that type of reflection? How do you think that like creative writing specifically can help further those thoughts or discussions about the past? I think it can help because it brings together different perspectives. Um, a lot of the writers were quite young, but they were from different backgrounds. Um, and at the end of the day, it could cut it if the thing is poignant enough, um, which we all hope um, our showcase was, and um, it could cause a conversation um, outside. 
Cool. Yeah. And I loved what you said about including different voices into that conversation and how that can make you see things from a different angle and help you to process it even more. That was very well put. So thanks for sharing that. Um, do you want to talk about the piece, the actual piece that you wrote for the showcase in a little bit more detail? Maybe say the name of it and maybe just give a brief overview. Yeah, so the piece that I wrote um, was called Kingdom Come. It was, the overview was basically, it was set after the um, foundation of the Irish state in the, and the, constab- the constabulary that was under the control of the British um, was now taken by the Irish Free State and um, taken under control. And one sergeant who leaves it and um, over the fact that he refuses to work for a government that was the rebel forces in Ireland and had led to the death of his son. And he then goes into basically squatting in his own home, refusing to coexist with this new world. In fact, trying to separate his house from this uh, free state as he wants no part of it and then the inciting incident is the fact that one of his past son's friends and one of his former constables and one of the father's former constables comes to visit him in his home to try and talk him out of it cool and if you're happy to i'd love to hear the excerpt story yeah i can read you um just a quick excerpt the title of this piece is Kingdom Come, written by Andreas Fallon for Brooklyn. O'Rourke places his coat on the back of the chair and looks around the living room. O'Rourke. Christ, you've really cleaned out the place. You planning on moving out? Murphy. Something along those lines. O'Rourke. Sure, what's wrong with the place? A lot of people would count their blessings to live here. Murphy. You didn't come all this way to talk to me about property. Did you, Kieran? O'Rourke. No, I didn't, sir. Murphy. Then can I ask, why are you here? On top of that, please don't call me, sir. I'm not your sergeant anymore. O'Rourke. Of course. Of, of course. I just wanted to talk. That's all. Murphy. You wanted to talk? O'Rourke. Yes. Murphy. Talk about what, exactly? O'Rourke. Just yourself. Just to see how everything is around here. Murphy. And where was this three months ago when I left? Might have been more helpful time to drop by. O'Rourke. I'm sorry, but we all felt like you needed your time to reflect. Murphy. I'm sure you all did. And I've had plenty of time to reflect, and I appreciate you dropping by to check on this foolish old man. O'Rourke, no, no, it's not like that. Murphy, then why am I visited now, of all times? What do you need to discuss with me? Hopes? Dreams? Regrets? O'Rourke, no, this isn't about myself, sir. Murphy, don't call me, sir. O'Rourke, sorry, sorry, I'm only here because I just wanted to make sure that you're, you know, well, Murphy, well. Now, why wouldn't I be well? 
O'Rourke. That's what I want to find out. You know, to have the chats and find out if anything is bothering you. O'Rourke pats Murphy on the knee and smiles at him. Murphy, you know, Kieran, something really is bothering me. O'Rourke, yes? Murphy, the fact that one of my favourite constables, who I've known since he was up to my knee, walks into my house all smiley and clappy. He sits down beside me like we're back in the station tea room again. The only thing different is that he's wearing a murderer's uniform. O'Rourke's smile quickly fades as Murphy leans into him. Murphy, and it bothers me because he knows how much pain and heartache those Republicans caused during the war. O'Rourke, I think we've gotten off on the wrong foot here. Murphy, however, now that the war is over and they control the constabulary, he's now a brazenly open collaborator with his buttoned-up uniform. O'Rourke, but it's the same uniform we always wore. It just has the armband. Murphy, but the person wearing it will be different, won't they? You know, what bothers me the most is that he knows how much it hurts me specifically, hurts us specifically. How the new Republican government is responsible for the lives of constables walking the beat. Constables whose only crime was protecting innocence. Murphy leans down to O'Rourke. Constables like Frank. O'Rourke doesn't look Murphy in the eye. Murphy, now I think this person who's bothering me should, O'Rourke, sir, please, I can explain. Murphy should just leave. They made their choice to stay, regardless of those lost. O'Rourke, I cared about Frank, you know that, sir. He was my friend, Murphy, and he was my son, Kieran, and that's why I left. I really want to clap at the end, so <laughs> do a song clap. <laughs> really well read as well. Fair play. Um, and then final question is um, any tips for anybody who either have been given a theme like 100 years and are trying to figure out how to deal with it or just in creative writing more generally people who are maybe a little bit nervous about starting any tips that you would or advice you would give to get them started or to help them along the way I don't feel like I, I, I'm I'm very I'm very much still a like I'm only ninety. I'm only nineteen. I've been doing fighting words for three years in terms of play. I, you know, the tips I give, I, I will preface, you know, are still coming from someone who happy to take tips from anyone else. Um, I suppose like the main thing I would say is that, specifically, I find it writing is that it's a very easy thing to procrastinate about. Um, preparation's brilliant because when you get stuck in a piece if you know your characters really well or you know your setting really well you can then judge what reaction is going to drive along the next part of the plot or the next part of the act that's really great and it's you should spend time on it but there's also the fact that like i myself have been like oh i'll just do more research when you know you should go well no you should probably just get started now um Writing is a tough thing to start and it's also a tough thing to finish. Breaks are good, like, for anything. 
you need to do. You don't need to be working 12 hours a day on your thing, but um, like just take it in manageable time, set realistic goals and what, like you're not going to have a full script that you, you're going to be happy with in a day. Criticism's great. It sucks, but it's great from other people because it helps you. And like you might love certain parts of your play and you might think they're amazing, um, but someone might go, it doesn't work. I remember in my play, there was one thing where I had um, Mick paint over his windows with uh, shoe polish. And I thought it was brilliant because it kind of showed how like, you know, crazy and it was kind of a great visual. And then I think it was either Roddy Doyle or someone just said, it, it just doesn't fit the story. And you just have to go sugar shoulders and go, if you truly believe in it, obviously, of course, like if you truly like know this is a necessary part of the story, then maybe keep it in, but maybe change other aspects to make it a more prominent piece in as part of the narrative. But like if you're just if it's a piece that you're like, oh, I just really loved this image, but you but it doesn't fit the story. Unfortunately, it's just something you have to take. It makes you a better writer being able to work with other people and being able to take their um, comments on. Um, it's a hard thing to do, but it does make you a better writer. Class, that's all my questions. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. I, really, I loved being on this, so. <laughs> cool, glad to hear it. This is Roche Faulkner, who is one of the young writers for the 100 Years Short Story Analecta Project. And we are very delighted to have you as part of this podcast. So thank you so much for agreeing to join us. No problem. I'm happy to be here. Do you want to just like introduce yourself? So uh, my name is Roche Faulkner and I'm in a few writing words clubs. I started uh, a write club over lockdown. I did the 100 Years Project, obviously. And that was my first piece of published writing. And I went a little bit nuts over it, I have to say. And what did you mean by going nuts at the prospect of publication? Like, what does that what does that look like? Well, basically, the um, like the, I got like a package to my door and had my name on it. And like I hadn't ordered anything. It was my birthday. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? And then I opened it and it was a book. And I saw my name on the title page. And then there, there was a moment of brief hysteria where I just, you know, screamed for a while. <laughs> no, it's always nice to hear like what like like effect like the, like the, yeah. the seeing your 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 name and text has yes after kind of angsting and unksting over like a piece of writing for so long seeing the actual yeah. finished product so it's really I'm glad that it was positively received it was and then you said that as well that you're involved in the hundred years project so like what what did you know of it how did you get involved what what does that mean that you were involved basically it was like mentioned in a fighting words um like in a meeting in one of the right club meetings and I was like oh that's a thing I can do so um, I had a few false starts at writing a thing and I left it for quite a while and then I went off and I wrote a thing that had pretty much nothing to do with the theme but I submitted it anyway and it, 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 it got in somehow Incredible. So how did you find writing under a theme, like the 100 Years theme? Was that restrictive? Was it freeing? Like, what was it like compared to having free reign to write something? Well, see, the thing about having a restrictive theme is that you can always do what I did and just completely ignore it. So, um, you know, all the other stories in the book are all the stuff about climate change. There was one about um, the French Revolution, which was a pretty good poem, I have to say. And then you've got mine, where a door follows a girl around and eats all her family and... 
all the good stuff. But I think that's worthwhile to mention. I think it's nice to know that even when you have a specific prompt and you have a theme, like there's so much freedom within that and you don't have to have like an oversized loyalty to it, right? You can just get it to prompt an idea that could be unrelated. And how do you think writing, why does writing matter when thinking about this question of time? I think like it matters because like essentially like you people are like a big mashup of the things that they like and the things that like I myself I'm a mashup of I'm a mashup of like Discworld I am a little bit Harry Potter though not so much these days I like to think because I've gone off it a little bit I am all the horror podcasts I've listened to I am the drawings I do I'm the movies I watch I'm like I'm a mashup of the things that I like and also the people that I love and kind of Zooming in from those big themes and just talking about the actual process, can you maybe describe a little bit what that process was like from beginning to end and like how you felt throughout? Well, like I was saying earlier, like how you're a mashup of things, like one of the horror podcasts that I was listening to has a thing with doors, right? And I was like, I really like the door thing because like it was a really cool image to me, like where it like a door is like, you know, you don't really think about it. It's like it's a thing that you see when you're going around. You don't really see it. It's like, you know, doors are there. They're not really very threatening. But like, you know, doors are an entryway to somewhere. Like, sometimes they don't open. Sometimes they do open and you wish they hadn't. Sometimes, like, you know, you, you, the lock gets stuck in the door. Sometimes you can't find your keys. There's a, there's a lot of metaphors that can be built around locks and keys and doors and all this stuff. And... Basically, I liked that, and I was like, can I use that? And then I did use it. Um, I don't, like, the writing was kind of like, I wanted to experiment with a new tense. because so I was writing this in the first person in the present tense, and I really like it. It's really fun. So I was just kind of experimenting with this, and then I got this character, Faith, and I just started sort of writing about Faith. And, like, the first page was just me saying, this is the kind of person that Faith is. She's not stupid. She knows that, like magic doesn't technically exist um she doesn't believe in monsters and i said a thing that was like she doesn't believe in monsters or like she does but not the kind that like hide in under beds and then wardrobes the kind that are people yeah so love that and And also the name faith as well like you just like oh i just wrote about faith like it like it carries a certain weight to it because it has like many layers of meaning yeah Yeah, there's some story in my family about uh, a group of (laughs) relatives that i can't remember exactly they were three sisters and the names the they were the oldest was faith the second oldest was hope third oldest was charity and then the last one was maureen because they couldn't think of another like name hope, faith hope charity and maureen love that yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so many like chosen one tropes that you could play with there yeah like, it's really really interesting um so if you're up for it would you be interested in reading some of the your piece in the anthology that you have absolutely the brass owl by roche Faulkner. Faith isn't stupid. She doesn't believe in fairies or magic or curses. She does believe in monsters, but not the kind that hide under beds and in the backs of wardrobes. Real monsters, the ones that look like people. Faith doesn't make trouble. She's always regarded rules as useful things, so long as they don't get in her way. Most rules just enforce common sense, and Faith is, usually, very sensible. Faith knows a lot of things. She knows how to light a fire without matches. She knows the capital of every country in the world and its population and its main industries. She knows that the light can only trick you so far, and your eyes are usually telling the truth. 
The first time Faith sees the little yellow door, she is puzzled. All the other doors in the house are painted white with shiny silver handles. This door is painted yellow. It's peeling a bit, showing grey wood through the gaps. The handle is tarnished brass, shaped like an owl's face. It blinks at Faith and clicks its beak as she puts the cardboard box carefully on the concrete floor of the basement. Hello, she says uncertainly. Faith doesn't get scared. The bird handle says nothing. Faith rises from the floor and approaches the door slowly. She can hear a faint humming, like a generator, no, like a hive of bees. The wood of the door is unnaturally warm as she runs a palm across it, tracing the wood grain. A splinter catches in her fingertip and she takes a hasty step back with a startled yelp. Faith, someone calls from upstairs. Get up here with that box. Faith does not answer. The bird handle watches her with its beady brass eyes. It looks like it's laughing. Faith hates being laughed at. Faith, don't make me come down there. After a final glare at the brass cell, Faith grabs a box from the floor, probably the right one, but just now she can't be bothered to remember, and marches up the stairs out of the basement. What kept you? asks her mother snappishly as Faith's shoulders open the kitchen door. Faith says nothing. She sets the box down on the table. Her mother, seated at the far end, winces at the clink of glass. Careful, Faith, those are the good glasses. Faith still says nothing. She doesn't see anything to say. She considers telling her mother about the yellow door, but decides against it. Faith's dreams that night are full of doors. Trap doors, glass doors, long, twisting hallways and lines with doors that won't open. The clock by her bed reads 1.40 when she wakes up. This is annoying. Faith will never be able to get back to sleep now. She tries anyway for a while and gives up and gets out of bed. She means to go to the sitting room to find a book to read, but somehow she ends up halfway down the basement stairs before she realises what she's doing. It's pointless anyway. The door is gone. She didn't imagine it. She didn't. The throbbing pain of the splinter in her finger is proof of that. Faith knows her own mind well enough, or she's always thought so anyway. Faith isn't very surprised when the faint mocking hoot of an owl follows her back upstairs. Dun, dun, dun. I love introducing that seed of doubt into the narrative and having like such like self-assuredness and then being like, but what if? And then but. slowly <laughs> yeah. unraveling that um, kind of self-belief is so interesting. There was lots of mentions of doors and you mentioned doorways mm-hmm. um, as something that maybe could be taken for granted, but at a upon further inspection might reveal secrets or yeah. um, mysteries or things that you never thought you wanted or things that you feared you would never have to encounter. Yeah. Um, so speaking of doors and doorways into like creativity, what are some doorways that you've encountered during this process or during any other creative process that you um, opened up and kind of realized what was like lurking within? Honestly, the horror genre as a whole, the podcast that I mentioned, like before I encountered that I'd never liked horror, like um, I scare very easily. Um, but like my friend recommended me this podcast right and they were listening to it and like they they were all talking about it and they were like oh my god it's so good you need to listen to it and finally I wanted to see what all the fuss it was about so I started listening to it and I was absolutely hooked 
There are 200 episodes of it, 40 minutes long, five seasons. I listened to them all. I was scared witless and I loved it. So um, I haven't seen like many horror movies, but I think definitely I prefer audio horror to um, to like horror that you can actually see. Because if you're listening to it, your mind gets to make up the things that would scare you most. Any advice that you would give to writers uh, who are a little bit intimidated by the prospect of writing or are kind of overwhelmed at the thought of a blank page? Like what what helps you? You have to write the bad stuff before you can write the good stuff. Mm. So with these products, always go for it because it's really cool. You get a chance to write something and then at the end of it, you might get to see your name in print and that's really, really cool. So go for it. Rich Bree Trasa Windham. So this is our um, coordinator of the um, of Fighting Words Oscalga, and we're delighted to have you on board and to chat about all the hundred years bits that we've been you've been helping to oversee and to manage. So, how are you involved? If you don't mind speaking to it, how are you involved in the Hundred Years Project? Like, what's what's your role and um, like within your bigger role in Fighting Words? It's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so the Hundred Years Project, I suppose, was a sort of a, um, a collaborative piece among everybody in the team. I suppose my part in it was that I took all of the existing hundred year um, literature, if you like, or all of the, the lesson plans and bits and pieces that were there that existed as Berla. And then I translated them. We also offer the 100-year project or in Tograkade Blian. So we, we offer people um, the option to do the 100-year workshop as Gaelge if they choose. Um, and so we've done a couple. I don't exactly know how many we've done at this stage, but we've done a few. And then as part of the bigger 100-year project, um, I also helped to facilitate the bilingual twinning events that cool. happened online and yeah it was really it's lovely thing to be a part of actually nice um just before we get into the twinning events proper if you wanted to talk to a little bit about your experience facilitating uh 100 years themed fighting words workshops what's the difference between that and a regular fighting words workshop and how did the kids respond if you wouldn't mind speaking to that sure um so the main difference, I suppose, is that it's themed. I suppose usually the Fighting Words workshops, they follow the same structure all the time, but we don't necessarily always have a theme that we follow. One of the main differences, I think, is that at the start of the 100-year workshop, we show a little video and that little video really engages the children. And um, it is, it's a great one for drawing conversation out of them and you know the video which is which is beautifully made um in the animation they see children putting items into a box and then it zooms forward a hundred years we saw a few things that they put into the box but then we have to invite the children to think about what else might they have put into this time capsule a hundred years ago and what's different how is life different now than it was a hundred years ago or how is it the same and so it kind of links, um, I suppose, many different strands of the curriculum. You're talking about sort of the oral language, you're talking about history, you're talking about geography in a sense as well. And you're bringing together lots of lots of different things. Um, 
yeah, it's amazing to me how engaged the children stay throughout the whole process. You described the video wherein the kids put objects into a time capsule and then that's transported 100 years into the future to the present day um, and they get to discuss what type of objects because it's not overly prescriptive, the video. So Mm -hmm. they get to kind of have their own ideas about what could be put in that box from 100 years ago. Were there any memorable responses to somebody, any particularly inventive or creative takes on what they thought happened from the past? Well, it's funny, like, we have a bit of general chat first and foremost, you know, about what life might have been like 100 years ago. We we talk about maybe different themes. So we talk about, you know, what life would have been like at home um, or what life would have been like in school. And, oh, you know what? Actually, something that struck me in children so young that they would have spotted it um, was how life has changed so much for girls, you know, because, you know, girls weren't allowed to do X, Y and Z and now they are. I just think that's brilliant that they're thinking along those lines. And that piece, that conversation at the the start, it's really important, I think, and it really gets them thinking. Um, And what I tend to do is I kind of do like a think, pair, share type situation. So I might ask them a question and I'll say, well, turn to the person who's beside you and have a think, have a, have a little chat about that and have a talk about that. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about what we what we got or what we what ideas did we have and we can share what we think. And I think it, it gives everybody a chance to be a part of the conversation then, not just the people who come up with ideas quickly, you know. And so maybe that was another reason why they remain engaged because there's more participation when you do things like that, because everybody gets a chance to be involved. I love that. And um, what do you think the value of having the 100 years as a specific theme as opposed to something else? And um, why do you mm. think that that theme works or why do you think that theme is used or should be used? I think it makes the children think about their lives now and to think about the difference and an interesting piece in that is okay here we are you know modern day Ireland but not everybody has the same privileges that we have you know we we talked about you know girls weren't allowed to do this but there are still places in the world now that girls aren't allowed to do all kinds of things and so when we talk about the difference in Ireland between 100 years ago and now it also prompts another conversation about the privilege that we have living here and how how much we have to be grateful for. And I think that's an amazing thing for children to become aware of because, you know, you can kind of just go through life without really acknowledging your privilege, you know. And also maybe that there's a little bit room left for improvement because I think discussions yes. at the beginning of the 100 years workshop are very maybe a little bit heightened or exaggerated and like this wasn't allowed and this didn't happen and then you you kind of anchor it or you ground it in the present moment and you're like well there's still there's still a way to go you know what I mean all of these human rights issues for example aren't resolved totally so it kind of mm-hmm. helps minimize the distance and maybe see that there's still room for improvement I suppose yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and like it's it's a great leveler, I think, you know, it's a great leveler in terms of, um, OK, we've come so far here, but there's more 
there is more in the world than just me. As part of the 100 Years Project, Fighting Words hosted a series of twinning events, which were basically story share workshops via Zoom. Um, could you speak a little bit about or describe what the twinning events were or what hand you had in what, what role you had in them? Yeah. And so, yeah, so the twinning events, because of COVID mainly and geographical, I suppose, restrictions, we held the twinning events online to schools who had participated in the 100-year project um, were linked up via Zoom. The children in each of the classes got to share their stories. They got to talk about their school, their area, answer questions about their stories and ask questions of the other group. And so my role for the two twinning events that I was part of, the first one um, it was a bilingual twinning event. And so I um, did the whole Gaelge piece. And um, the second one, um, it was with two English-speaking schools, but I was just there to kind of help out in the facilitation. And um, yeah, it was it was a really lovely event. I suppose it's probably worth mentioning as well that it was kind of an all-Ireland story share event. So there were schools from Northern Ireland paired up with yes. schools from the Republic of Ireland. So for sure, the pandemic and kind of introducing this hybrid learning and having an online component in the classroom um, was maybe learned from that. But it's it's interesting how you can use it to increase accessibility as opposed to having a big in-person meetup in either Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland. You could have this kind of setup where it transcends that boundary, I, I suppose. Um, yeah, I actually I think that the 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 cross border element of it was great, and I just think isn't it great to expose children to different uh, accents? You know, different. You know, I'm not going to say that the culture is totally different, but I suppose maybe it is. I don't know, but just to difference, you know, to diversity, something different to yourself, people who sound different to you. But to have those common points of connection as well, to have this, like, there is that difference. There are different cultural backgrounds or different, like, setting backgrounds or school backgrounds or whatever the case may be. But there is this stories, this prompt that we have in common. And it's also the stories that result from that and the kind of thrill of getting to share that and celebrate mutual creativity um, yes, despite the differences. Yeah. Yes, of course. I don't mean to focus fully on the difference. <laughs> the besides, I suppose the thing is, they... There's more in common than not, you know, of course. Um, and and the stories are the way in, you know, the stories were were the, the main commonality that day where they the kids were willing to to read and share and ask questions and answer questions. And yeah, it was just a really, really pleasant. And you know what else it was really lovely, I thought. The children um had practiced a little song to sing and they were able to kind of share their song and yeah sure it's just fabulous <laughs> and what do you think the bilingual element of that workshop that you helped to facilitate how do you think that um shaped the workshop or do you think it added anything to it would you recommend doing another series where it was bilingual exclusively or like what do you think what do you think it it, it, it enabled the kids or helped the kids to do the thing about something being bilingual means that to me, what it means is basically what you're saying to somebody is, I recognize you. I recognize your 
language and your culture and I respect it and I'm making an effort to make you feel included. You know, when there's a Gaelskull, the culture of the Gaelskull is that things need to be as Gaelge. And so if we can do that, then why shouldn't we do that? You know, like it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to bring to the table, to include your language, to include your your culture. Um, and I would definitely urge other schools, even if they're not in a Gaelic school setting or even if they wanted to increase the level of Irish that they're speaking in school, it's a lovely way to do that. It's a lovely informal way to include Irish into your school day. And, you know, there's no pressure. It doesn't have to be right. Nobody's standing over you with a red pen to try to correct what you're saying. Or And as well, Sean, I think something that's really useful about the twinning event, linguistically and, and not, is that um, because you sent out questions beforehand, um, it gives the teacher and it gives the students a chance to think about what they want to say. And so if speaking Asgailge is something that people are a bit nervous about, at least it gives them that opportunity to prepare what it is they want to say so that they can use the language in a way that is comfortable for them. And I think that's great. The twinning events were basically an hour long and uh, the teachers were sent of both schools were sent in advance um, like a welcome message and also a set of questions that they can explore um, as creatively as they like with their class um, and a link to the to the Zoom session where they meet up as well as copies of the stories from both classes that were written under the theme of 100 years um, and they were encouraged to read those stories to the class beforehand and kind of prep comment, comments in advance of the story share events just so students would have that familiarity and teachers could nominate students to come up to the top of the class and chat into the microphone about what they particularly liked or enjoyed about the stories. So Bree Chassett, I won't keep you for too much longer. Do you have any Mm -hmm. advice for schools who maybe would want to participate in a twinning event in the future? I used to be a teacher, Sean. I used to be a teacher for years. And there's a lot that needs to happen in the classroom for you to be on top of your game. And I feel that sometimes teachers feel it's teachers feel overwhelmed, I think. Um, And I would just say that doing something like this Fighting Words 100 Year Project twinning event, it's just such a lovely thing to do with your class. And it's much easier than you think it's going to be. Because I think sometimes when teachers are overwhelmed, they just think that everything's going to be difficult. But actually, Sean organizes everything. Everything is clear from the get-go. And all you have to do is just log on and enjoy it. And um, if it's something that a teacher is interested in, in any little way at all, I would suggest giving it a go and signing up to be a part of the twinning event because it's it's so great for the kids. You know, it's 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 a really great thing for the kids, I think. And similarly, not even the twinning events, but if anybody wanted to run a hundred years project uh, or a workshop in their own school, 
um, Fighting Words is endeavouring to build up the resources to allow teachers to just kind of pick it up and go for it and not yeah. stress too much, like to make it as accessible as possible. Um, so teachers, there'll be like lesson plans or there'll be prompts and you'll there'll be a breakdown of how a Fighting Words facilitator would run that workshop and almost like a script. So um, as Bree Trass yeah. has said as well, if like you wanted to do a twinning event or if you just wanted to start from doing a 100 year styled creative writing workshop with your students, strongly encourage it. Yeah. And as well, I know, you know, I'm familiar with the stress that teachers are under in terms of having to do their notes and their Kuntasi Mi Sula and all of that. And doing something like the twinning event, uh, or sorry, doing something like the 100 year project with your class you're kind of covering a lot of subjects in one go. So it's a great way to integrate lots of different subjects and it kind of cuts back on the planning for you as well as a teacher. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know any teacher who wouldn't be all for that, John, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, do you mind if I ask you a question? This is what I was going to ask you. So, Sean, Colm O'Connor brought this notion of uh, this kind of hundred year idea to the table about... I'm going to say two years ago, or is it a year and a half or so? And we kind of had a couple of Zoom meetings over it and here and there and what we wanted to do. And we talked about, you know, like how to roll it out in secondary schools and primary schools. And there was just, it was kind of growing and growing and growing. And I felt like every time we had a meeting about it, there was some other new strand. And then the next thing, the answer to all our prayers, you came along, you came on board to sort us all out. Can you tell us a little bit about what your role is in this 100-year project, please? So, yeah, thanks for asking. So, yeah, Colin McCoolahan approached me early this year and said that there was this 100 years project and basically a series of workshops were being run with schools um, both at a primary and a secondary level with a video prompt that had been created, which was basically a few objects like a horseshoe or a teddy bear or I think there was a fiddle as well that were placed into a time capsule and that prompted the type of discussion that you were talking about, Pretrasa, at the beginning of... Um, this segment um, and basically that was happening and then also the Young Abbey Playwrights sorry not the Young Abbey Playwrights the um, 100 Years Playwrights program was happening um, or had been happening for a while and there was also a couple of book projects and basically as you said there were lots of bits happening and they just kind of needed somebody to to manage the pieces so I came on board then and um started to develop the the videos so we have a new video now um where the the, the one that you used in your workshops we also um the the showcase for the peacock um was on this year and we had the anthology that was published um for the short stories where a couple of people in this podcast got to read excerpts which is really amazing and it's wonderful to have them um, and similarly, we had the, the twinning events that you've described and hopefully we can continue to have another batch of those in the future. But I suppose the next step or the next part of the 100 Years project is the online launch. So this podcast is part of the online launch of the 100 Years project, which will hopefully increase visibility of it and allow teachers um, to join in and um, there's going to be webs resources on the Fighting Words website um, in the websites that I listed um, and everybody I strongly encourage them to kind of pick it up in their classrooms and to help grow the 100 year theme and project and messages that we talked about during this episode. 
So thank you so much, Brie Trassa, and thank you so much to all of our guests who came and spoke on this, our 100 years themed episode of the Fighting Words podcast. Um, it's been a genuine pleasure to chat to everybody, to listen to the excerpts of pieces that were under the umbrella of 100 years, to discuss the twinning events and also the possibility of um, growing and expanding into schools in the near future. That was our 100 years themed Fighting Words episode as part of the Fighting Words podcast series. Thanks to the Department of Tourism, Culture, Art, Scale, Talk, Sport and Media. And thanks as well to our wonderful guests for joining us today. You can contact me with any 100 Years questions at seanfarley at fightingwords.ie or to keep up to date with all the 100 Years events that are upcoming, you can look at www.fightingwords.ie or www.fightingwords.co.uk. 